Welcome to Unlapped. Katie George, Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmonds. And Nate is finally back. You've missed uh, a couple of shows at this point. Fresh back from his travels to Austria, which certainly did not disappoint. And if you're listening to this, just know in about a matter of five hours or so, all the information could change uh, if the FIA has anything to do with it. I obviously, that's a little tongue-in-cheek because the results of the Austrian Grand Prix did change uh, for a couple of people. And Nate, I just want to get your overall thoughts. Lawrence and I were on the ESPN post-race show. Unbeknownst to us that this was going to go down, that Aston Martin was going to submit an appeal. When did you find out about the protest? How did that all unfold on the ground? Yeah, it was it was kind of a strange one because obviously, like everybody, we were monitoring the amount of track limit penalties there were during the race. And somebody did comment that towards the end of the race, it seemed like those the frequency of those really came, you know, really dropped down. You know, we started to see less of them. The protest came through. I mean, we saw it when the document came through. You know, Aston Martins protested the result, and it, it was um, it was quite a vague um, statement that we got initially. And then they said, you know, they're looking back at uh, you know however many extra uh, instances it was. And <clears throat> Lawrence will remember this as well. I mean, Austria is a pretty funny location because. Uh, it always seems to be the place where there's an FIA uh, inquiry of some kind. I remember 2019, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc, they kind of nearly came together on the final lap. Max basically barged Charles out of the way, and we spent, uh, you know, it must have been four or five hours sitting in that media center waiting. So when this email came through, for people you know who, whose maybe ge- geography of Austria is not too great, <laughs> where Spielberg is, it's quite a long drive up to Vienna, which is where I was staying with, you know, we always stay in the airport hotel, you fly back the next day, you're very conscious of the fact that you want to get out, you know, and I, I thought to myself, this is going to take a long time. What we didn't factor for was we were leaving the same time all the Dutch fans were leaving, and we kind of caught the end of the traffic. So we got the email, you know, well, the emails, as it turned out, you know, with with, with all of the verdicts in, as we were stuck in traffic. Fortunately, we were stationary at the time, so I was able to read it and, you know, relay it to the guys I was in the car with. But um, very strange and kind of a confusing one because at the time, I think the FIA, you could you could see how overwhelmed they had been by the whole thing because they weren't initially able to kind of provide information on how many instances they were looking at. And I think that the biggest disappointing thing was that it was quite obvious from Friday that track limits was going to be an issue. You know, you could see it from uh, the qualifying session. Max obviously spoke about it. Other drivers did. So by the time Sunday came about, it was quite a disappointing kind of sense of, you know, this seemed like an inevitability that was going to happen, maybe not in such an extreme way. Um, but yeah, so when we left the circuit, we were none the wiser. And I think um, obviously, you know, and from what I understand, a few of the teams left Austria. They were on a chartered flight back. They landed to find all of the emails kind of stacked up in their inbox, you know, saying penalty, uh, investigation penalty. And that, you know, in, in the team I spoke to anyway, one of their drivers had, had, uh, had lost a few positions. So I think they were pretty miffed getting that probably, probably a bit more surprised than I was uh, reading them through on that, <laughs> on the, on the, um, I don't know if it's the autobahn in Austria. I don't know if they call it that, but the highway in Austria uh, is where I finally find, found out. I think miffed is a, a fair assertion here. Lawrence, you were obviously at home able to monitor it from start to finish after the race. What do you think the reaction from a lot of teams were? Some of them landing, as Nate said, getting the information firsthand when they touched down. How do you think they felt about the the whole situation and how the FIA handled it? I think everybody is pretty disappointed in how it all panned out. Um, clearly, it doesn't look great as a professional sport when everyone turns the TV off expecting to know the result and about five hours later uh you find out it's it's different um 
So, yeah, I think there's a recognition that something has to change. It is fairly circuit specific. It's not like this is happening every Mm -hmm. weekend. We have had a number of instances where the FI have taken a while to decide on stuff, but it's not usually track limits. And the reason was just the sheer volume, as Nate said, the sheer volume of things they had to check. They said there were 1,200 potential uh, track limits violations. And if you calculate all the laps that 20 cars can do around Austria, it's something like 1,500, so uh, over 71 laps. So, you know, I mean, it's... It, it it is a, it was a crazy amount of, of stuff they had to go through and they had to go through and they had to do each one correctly and really what happened here is that the FI have created a rod for their own back they created this rule with track limits where they said right we're going to be super strict on it it used to be the case that from circuit to circuit corner to corner they would have different rules in place and you'd have to check the race director's notes to know what you could do what you couldn't do um and then uh, they basically had this blanket rule everywhere that if your four wheels are over the white line then uh, you're out of the track. And and that's happened, you know, I think it was 48 in the end they, they found additionally, uh, which resulted in 12 new penalties across eight drivers and uh, a complete change of positions four down to 10 uh, by the end of end of Sunday evening. So, um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I, I'm actually finishing off succession. So uh, so I, I I found out there was this investigation. I'd finished all my other work. I put succession <laughs> on, have my emails on loud just in case something happened. I think I got about three quarters of the way through the episode before I had to uh, kind of go back to my oh, laptop. Oh, the finale. Uh, preparing everything. Yeah, no, I, I was on the penultimate episode then. Oh, I have nice. now watched the finale, but no spoilers, of course. No spoilers. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise that. I, mean, I was talking to Lawrence at the time. I... If I'd known that, I'd have taken it because I because Lawrence very kindly picked up the work because mm-hmm. obviously You're I was stuck in a car. Yeah, right. So if I'd known you were watching Succession, I'd have been like, dude, I'll take it. <laughs> I didn't know, I had no idea. <laughs> uh, just left me on a little cliffhanger there, you know, while I got my head around uh, 12 different penalties. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Like something has to change. I, I was at Alpine today uh, talking to Omar Zafnauer. And uh, yeah, he, he was quite clear that, you know, that you can't really have a situation like that. And I think. You know, what the FIA said is that they've talked to Spielberg a number of times, talked to Red Bull Ring and said, look, you know, bring in a gravel trap there. They don't want to do that because um, it creates issues when you have motorcycles racing around there. It's quite dangerous to have a gravel trap uh, in case they, uh, you know, go off into it in in a big way. So it's it's a tricky balance, but something needs to be done, whether it's kind of a more extreme curbing out there. But by next year, hopefully there'll be something in place and perhaps a better monitoring system for the FIA or just, you know, or perhaps just those two corners, they, uh, you know, they slightly you know change the rules so that it's uh that you know there's a bit more flexibility which is how it used to be spielberg's got a full year to ultimately decide what changes they're going to make if any at all because the austrian grand prix keeps the same exact weekend june 28th through the 30th in 2024 ask me how i know that (laughs) because the 2024 calendar was released today let's get into it shall we because holy smokes 24 races on the calendar from February 29th. So does that mean that it's a leap year again? Is that correct? Is that February 29th? Okay, good deal. Yeah, that's, that's all, I wouldn't have clocked that. Yeah, all the only reason I know that is because I have a nephew born on leap year. So he's a February 29th. I digress. February 29th all the way to December 8th in Abu Dhabi. What do you make of this long calendar? And are you guys going to be able to handle it yourself as Globetrotters? It's pretty, the first time I saw it, I I was kind of like, I just thought, wow, because from a human point of view, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's Mm -hmm. a lot to it. What I will say for, from the beginning is I think F1, you can see they're clearly trying to make it as geographically 
logical as they can. You know, they're moving things around where they can. So Japan has moved up. Uh, it's mm-hmm. taken kind of Baku's spot and Baku's kind of gone down and is now there with Singapore. <clears throat> um, but I mean, Australia, Japan, China, all standalone races. So everyone flies in, flies back to the UK or, or you know, to Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, and then to end on three triple headers that span over, you know, multiple continents. Um, it's from a human perspective. I think that's going to be the main thing. Um, I was kind of looking at it and I think, you know, I'm lucky I don't go to every single race, but you know, for a lot of the mechanics, a lot of the guys that do do that, you know, I think that's going to, this will be a long, long time on the road. So um, that side of it is interesting, but I think what Formula One's moving towards is they want to have hubs in a lot of these areas where they can, you know, teams can take their freight to. And so, you know, you have, you have four or five weeks where a bunch of races are kind of, I guess, in one area or at least in one kind of in one continent they're not there perfectly yet and actually i think they wanted a few races that haven't moved on the 2024 calendar to have moved to into some gaps if you actually look there's some there's some gaps there i think they wanted vegas to move up and i think that they created that space that's after uh singapore and before austin there's a gap there and i think that was ready made for vegas and they didn't want it so there's a lot of that going on you know behind the scenes some circuits want to go in some places, but yeah, looking at it, it's pretty crazy. It's a long, long season. And um, as we're seeing this year, I think the danger for Formula One is if if Max and Red Bull are dominating again, it's a long, long time to, to you know, to have that be the case, uh, which is always my big concern with the big calendar, not just the human cost of it, but the saturation point, you know, you can reach that quite quickly. So um, we'll see. But I mean, it's great to see. I mean, it's good to see that, for example, Belgium, you know, staying around. You know, we don't know how long that's going to be, um, but you're never sure when these calendars come out. You know, with how, how how many years some of these famous races have. So pleased to see that back. Um, and yeah, I think Lawrence will end up doing more than me anyway. So, uh, and Lawrence is probably now going to say that he, you know, he's he's going to love it. And I, I'm looking forward to it. I've already asked Lawrence if I can do Japan next year, which is one I haven't done. So we'll see how that goes. Keep 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 coming back to listen. I think one of us is going to do Australia. One of us will do Japan, as it stands. Maybe. Where do you fall today, Lawrence? Will you allow him to go to Japan or to <laughs> I be mean, determined? It is one of the best uh, races on, on the calendar. So maybe we'll just have to leave it in our boss's hands. And, uh, and <laughs> yeah. um, But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is an interesting start to the year, isn't it? Um, also, first two races on a Saturday, which mm. um, is unusual. Okay, we're going to get that for Las Vegas later this year. Um, but then, uh, yeah, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia on a Saturday. And that's because Ramadan starts uh, the Sunday after the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in the evening. So um, there was obviously cultural sensitivities there. They didn't want to race during Ramadan. So um, they've... Uh, one moved those races earlier so we're starting that's why the first practice day in bahrain is on february 29th because they have been shifted that bit earlier and then that's why you've got two races on a saturday it kind of works um because uh in the middle east um the weekend tends to be friday saturday rather than saturday sunday like we have um in a lot of the other parts of the world so um yeah i think that that kind of works but um yeah it's it's, it's a strange one and like these big gaps between australia japan China. Um, we used to get a little bit of that uh, with races early in the year, sometimes between Australia and Malaysia. Uh, and actually, what some of the teams would do is offer their uh, mechanics and people that had to be at every race to go on holiday in between. So they would pick, I don't know, Langkawi in Malaysia and say, well, rather than go home, we will pay for you to have a holiday here for uh, about kind of, you know, five, six days. And then they go off to the next track and start setting up. So I don't know whether some teams will be able to take advantage of that. But of course, not everyone is in a position where they want to be taking holidays in between. You know, people have families to go back to and, and the rest of it. And also, 
engineers in particular, you know, engineers do tend to um, fly back uh, either the night of the race if it's in Europe or the or the next day, and they want to get back and get to work um, immediately in in the office back at back at the factory. So um, yeah, it's a it's a logistically uh, tricky one in some senses, but I think the clumping of races together does make some sense. The one that still sticks out a little bit oddly is is Canada, which is still in the middle of the European season, but of course. Canada is not a kind of place where you can race too early in the year or too late in the year because it gets very cold and uh, conditions might not allow it. So um, there's some logic to bits of it. There's other bits which I think still need to be ironed out. But um, yeah, 24 races. I mean, we we had that scheduled this year. Uh, of course, China got knocked off very early on and then we lost Imola as well. So we're down to 22. But 24 races is is a lot of racing in one year. The back-to-back Saturday races to open, and then obviously you said Vegas as well, is is an interesting note. Nate, do you foresee more Saturday races becoming popular in the future? Yeah, I can. And I think, to be honest as well, and, and it, it does make sense from Ramadan, but also in the Middle East, the weekend is Friday, Saturday. So we often see it when, when we go to a lot of races in the Middle East, you'll see that Friday and Saturday... You see a lot of people who aren't at work, and then Sunday you can you notice it's a lot quieter. You know, people have gone into work and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, and, and Formula One has made a big point of saying we want to lean into local cultures as much as we can, and I feel like that's that's one way to do it. And it's interesting because I think you know Sundays have always just kind of been been set in stone for Formula One. It's always been Sunday is a race day, and you know you might look at it, and obviously as you mentioned, Vegas is doing Saturday. I'm I'm still really curious about that, you know, just just generally that concept and I think that the success or failure of Vegas in that slot will actually determine whether we see more of that going forward. Um I'm not sure if any European races would do Saturdays because I think obviously on the flip side for what I said about the Middle Eastern races, if you have a race on Saturday, you're going to qualify Friday. Now F1's okay doing that for a sprint weekend, but you have the payoff of having the sprint quality and the sprint race on the Saturday in that case. So I think we'll see, but I think formula one, you know, under Liberty have shown us that they're, they're basically not, they're not afraid to try any of these new things out, you know, whether it's a sprint race, whether it's a race on Saturday, you know, all, all, all these things they're willing to try. So um, I can see it happening, but I think, um, I think we'll, I had one person in the paddock and this was just somebody who was, who was kind of spitballing the idea it was like, why don't we just have a midweek race one time? Uh, I think that's a bit extreme, but I think Saturday is definitely something you could you could foresee happening. Lawrence, you had mentioned China, and I know Joe Granu and his fans back home are going to be thrilled to see that on the fifth race on the calendar, April 19th through the 21st. You've been to the Chinese Grand Prix. How would you describe it since obviously we're missing um, that entity this year? Yeah, so last one I went to was the last one in 2019, and Joe wasn't on the grid, so it will be his uh, his debut home race. Um, it's uh, it's an unusual race, um, just because it is a, it's a very different culture out there. It says it's on the Shanghai International Circuit. It's actually quite a long way out of Shanghai, um, but it is also the last stop on a on a metro uh, station, so you, you can get out there uh, quite easily. Um, and uh, my main memories from it is some incredibly enthusiastic fans. Like really quite hardcore, um, especially Kimi Räikkönen and Valtteri Bottas fans. I don't know why they love the Finns so much, but yeah, when Kimi was racing in F1, they went pretty wild for him. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's something slightly different, and it's actually a, a pretty cool track in terms of the layout. Um, it's one of the Herman Tilke design ones. Uh, it's got um, a pretty cool first corner that kind of bends round in on itself and then flips back the other way. Uh, so um, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see if we if we get back there. Uh, of course. 
Um, we haven't been there because of the pandemic uh, since 2019, uh, although um, by the time we got around to the actual date that it was meant to be this year, a lot of the pandemic regulations had lifted. So uh, there's also questions about whether there are political reasons that uh, F1 doesn't want to go back racing there. But it is on the calendar. By the looks of it, we're going there. And um, yeah, I mean, at least yeah, Joe will be happy and his fans will be happy too. Do either of you think at some point when we're sitting at you know Christmas, right, of 2024, we look back and think this was way too much in one calendar year? Or do you think that this becomes the new norm moving forward? Well, I think I think both, to be honest with you, Katie. I think we will think it's too much, but I think it's going to become the new normal. I think um, it's been clear for a while Formula 1's wanting to pack the calendar out. And currently in the regulations, if I'm right in saying it's 24 is the maximum amount allowed. Um, but obviously that can change the next time they come mm-hmm. to do that. So there's so much interest right now in Formula One to host a race that, you know, ha- adding races to the calendar at this point is easy for Formula One. I think you know, if you went back 10 years, maybe you could have found one or two races that were really interested. Now you have all these places doing it. But I've always felt that, you know, 2021 is kind of the ideal, you know, and even then. I can remember when the first time they said 21 races, it seemed like a lot then. It was like, wow, that's a lot of races. So if every year you're adding one or every two years you add one race, before you know it, you've added five over 10 years or whatever it is. So I think it is too much. I think we'll be looking back to that. But sadly, I think that's just, you know, we're never going to go back to a 16 race calendar uh, anytime soon, which was kind of the, you know, uh, how it was about 15 years ago. Um, So yeah, I think it's, uh, until these rules change, I think 24, 25 will will be where we're at. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Well, if you got Silverstone tickets for this upcoming weekend, just know you can buy in advance because that date is the exact same on the 2024 calendar. Silverstone, uh, I always find absolutely fascinating and iconic. I spoke too soon for Lawrence, Nate, when we were on the ESPN post-race show. I said, I assume it's one of your favorite circuits. And he's like, not so much. (laughs) So I'd ask you, Nate, what you think of Silverstone. And then do drivers tend to agree with Lawrence? Or is this one of their favorite circuits on the calendar? Well, it's a difficult one because in terms of getting to Silverstone, even if you live in England, it's an absolute nightmare. It's just, it's like, there's like two roads basically that can go in and out. Traffic's terrible. I actually like it. You know, I like the, and I I think I've been lucky that I've I've always covered it at a time when Lewis Hamilton, you know, Mm -hmm. has been at the front end of the grid and that's made a huge difference. You know, the, the, it's like, you know, it would be like, you know, in 10 years time, if somebody does a Zandvoort Grand Prix and Max isn't competitive and Max, or Max isn't even there. 
You know, I think it will be a lot different to how it is doing a Zandvoort GP right now. Um, the crowd is always fantastic, you know, and you, I hate going to races where there's not really much buzz. And Silverson, there's always a buzz. And I think once you get through all of the nonsense of, you know, the traffic and getting into it, you know, it's just a great circuit. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. And I think I think fact that drivers tend to like it from what I, you know, from what I know. I think that obviously it's got the history of form, the, the, the history element to it. It's the first ever uh, F1 race was ha- held there. Uh, first ever World Championship race was held there. Um, so yeah, I think I think I'm pretty sure they're like it's a it's a it's a driver favorite. I'm not sure if there's any I can think of that don't like it. Maybe any of the guys that haven't won the race might not like it. But I know Lewis does, and I think it's one of those it's one of those circuits that um, people kind of they liken it to. Maybe not maybe not a karting track in the same way that like the Hungara ring is, but I think it's got a lot of a, a lot of corners that drivers just love you know love going to this very very challenging circuit quick you know there's got some i think it's got some of the most iconic uh, iconic bits of uh racetrack in the world so um yeah i like it and um i'll try and convince lawrence otherwise when we're there at the weekend yeah please do because you're bunking with each other over the weekend is that correct yeah not quite bunking but uh uh separate rooms share, but same house, house sharing yeah 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 i mean bunk, I'd, I'd happily bunk i've not bunked with anyone for a long time <laughs> since i was hostling lauren. with people <laughs> lauren's like uh let's not <laughs> Um, I just said the record straight as well. Like, it's a great circuit. It is a fantastic Mm. circuit. Um, It's just some of the things that go along with it. I think it's since they changed the paddock. So, I mean, we're going back a long way now to uh, 2011 was when they changed where the paddock was from its original location to where it is now. And I used to really like the old paddock. I think, you know, it was okay. It had its issues as well, but it just felt like, you know, it felt like the center of the circuit. It felt properly connected to the rest of the circuit. Now you have to get a double decker London bus to get from the car park. I love that to the paddock. Yeah, well, okay, <laughs> but it is. It's really <laughs> frustrating. It disconnects you from everything. So if you yeah. if you're on the paddock and you just want to go and watch trackside, you know, you're looking at a kind of a 20, 30 minute ride across, and it's mainly because the when they came up with the plans and they had these plans to build a tunnel under the circuit and there was going to be a bridge somewhere else. And essentially at that stage, they ran out of money to do those extra little bits and they never really got around to finishing it off. There is now a, a bridge that goes across from the paddock to the hotel on the other side, but I'm not sure if we can use it. Uh, last time I checked, we couldn't. So it's it's just frustrating little things like that. Um, and I think it's also that thing of it's a home race. I've been there so many times that, you know, you feel like you can be a bit harsh on it, but the circuit itself is fantastic and, and absolutely the drive love it a number of corners that they love but especially uh maggots beckett's chapel which is this um series of high speed sweeping corners that go from one to another and in a formula one car they are like almost you know really nothing else on the calendar it's a bit like austin uh the s is there at austin but this is like the original version and it is um that little bit more impressive and also if you watch their trackside if you can get the bus over from the paddock to go and watch their trackside or even better just get a ticket and be there all weekend uh seeing the cars um change direction through there is is sensational and unlike pretty much anywhere else uh, on the f1 calendar so yeah look it, it is a great track it just has a few issues which when you are going back there for the X teenth time it gets gets a bit frustrating. <laughs> Lawrence is jaded, is what he's saying. Yeah, essentially. I'm just trying to think how many times I've been now, but it's much less than Lawrence. I've probably been six or seven times. Um, I totally get those things, but um, I mean, what I will say about the circuit as well. I mean, last year, when you have a when you have a circuit that's packed, when it's a great race, you can really tell it's a great race. And last year was so good. Mm-hmm. And where we are in the media center, you're right opposite, you know, the main grandstand. 
and just the noise the whole race because you know people were overtaking each other you had that it's become a bit of a meme now where Perez and I think it's Leclerc run wide and Mm -hmm. Uh, David Croft goes, you know, and through goes Hamilton. At the time, I remember I was like, this is some of the best racing I've ever seen. And I don't think it would have, you know, there's not a lot of circuits where a race that good, in my opinion, would happen. I think Silverson's just got, you know, a lot of things you'd want. So some good memories. Let's hope they can, I mean, F1 kind of probably needs it to be a repeat this year in terms of just how dramatic. And if Max Verstappen gets something stuck under his car this year, that would also be quite helpful. I think that would, I don't think there'd be many people other than Max and maybe Christian Horner who, who wouldn't want to see that. But as, as brilliant as Max has been, you guys just sold why you should watch this race. Damn it. So well done. I appreciate that very much. Uh, I will say there's a song and I'm not going to sing it here. Uh, Rain, rain, go away. It feels like rain, rain has been here to stay with all of these races in the past few weeks. And I'm not going to complain about it because it's made for some really interesting moments throughout the entirety of the weekend. Lawrence, based on the circuit that you described before us, how does rain impact a weekend at Silverstone? I think rain makes pretty much any F1 weekend better. Uh, But Silverstone especially, and it it just seems like part of Silverstone in general, occasionally we'll get a weekend where it will be really hot and you have three uh, perfect days of sunshine. But we're probably talking one in every six or seven British Grand Prix. So there's usually um, a bit of rain in the air. So uh, I'm looking out the window right now. I'm kind of about 30 minutes away from the track and uh, it's looking a bit cloudy. There was a bit of rain earlier today. I came up on my motorbike and uh, nearly got caught in it. So it's always there. There's always a potential. And look, if, if it happens, um, I think it will only make it make it more exciting. Um, we've had some we've had some really good wet races here. My mind immediately goes back to uh, 2008 and Lewis Hamilton's like amazing uh, victory there. You know, won by miles, but um, it was quite incredible at the time. And that was in a really competitive season as well. Meanwhile, Felipe Massa, who was his title contender, was spinning around and kind of going through the grass and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think um, there's a lot of potential for it, for it to be a grace because it's such a, it's already a, a, a really, um, really is a driver circuit, one where, you know, drivers need to really be very brave and commit. And then when you add water to that as well, then you really see the difference between the very top drivers and uh, and the rest of them. I had a hard time listening after you said motorbike. Did you say motorbike? I did say motorbike, yeah. <laughs> I did not have that on my bingo card. I'm not going to lie. Now I'm <laughs> picturing Lawrence riding his motorbike through the countryside. Lovely. Nate, have you ever ridden it with him? I have not. He's not I, He's not invited me on yet. I haven't been able to do that. In fact, I don't think I've Very ever fun. ridden. I've ridden on a motorbike once with you know, with someone, but I can't ride myself. So maybe right. we'll do that after on Sunday. We'll ride back to Saturday. We'll ride back to where we're staying together. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I'll bring it, I'll bring it, I'll bring take it pictures home. if that happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, um, that, that's, that's, no, thanks, Katie, because I was yeah. too scared to ask it myself. So now you've done it. <laughs> perfect. Yeah, I've, I've opened the door for you. Um, as it pertains to Red Bull at this track, only three drivers have won five consecutive races, being Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, and Michael Schumacher. Sebastian Vettel holds the record for nine consecutive races. Nate, do you foresee Max making another step towards Vettel's record in Silverstone? It's like I asked this question and it's like I already yeah. I asked the question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I mean, it was already quite difficult to say no, wasn't it? But mm-hmm. I think it's becoming more and more obvious that that's where it's going. But then again, we spoke to Christian Horner about this on Sunday, and you know, Horner is very much every time he gets the chance, he's you know, he downplays the idea of this unbeaten season, and he pointed to last year's race. I mentioned it, you know, Max last year, you know, was in a really strong position and got some debris stuck under his car, and it ruined his race. And if you remember, he spent the rest of that race battling Mick Schumacher for I think ninth position, and mm-hmm. you know, which was probably you know 
one of the few times in in you know the, in in this kind of era of F1 we're ever going to see um, Max fighting for that kind of position. So it can happen, and and especially as Lawrence mentioned, if it rains, you know, it always throws that jeopardy in there. The problem with Max, I, and I don't mean the problem with Max, but the problem from a competitive standpoint is Max right now is just he's he's driving so well. You know, you feel like he's every week. It just seems like his level gets better. You know, you think, okay, we feel like you've seen the best of him, and then he he just pulls out more from. And suddenly, the elements how they might affect other drivers don't seem to affect him in the same way. You know, we saw two races, um, you know, at the weekend um, where you know he was just in complete control. Um, you know, and it's it's remarkable. So I would at this point put money on him. Yeah, definitely, definitely getting the sixth. And Vettel's record, if you look at the races coming up, I mean, they're all very, very winnable races uh, for Max. And we've not seen any suggestion from him or from Red Bull. You know, we haven't seen any any issues with the car or anything like that that might suggest that he's not going to get that. So, yeah, my money would definitely be on Verstappen winning. And now I've said that, I've, I, I, I tried to say that a few times so that hopefully I've put the, the commentator's curse on it. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've done that or not, but um, yeah, hopefully, you know, just for the sake of the season, you know, I think it obviously if Max doesn't win, it's great. But I kind of also, I think the longer Max wins, the more I'm kind of actually intrigued to see, to see him keep winning and see how many, like if he can extend that record out, let's say yeah. he does get nine, could he extend it to 10? Could he do 11, 12, 13? So it's quite an interesting one at the moment. And um, it's just basically Max Verstappen's world, isn't it at the moment? And we're just, we're just all kind of watching it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Austria was his seventh win of the 2023 season. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So Lawrence, with that in hand, what would you place the over under of Max Verstappen wins this year? Um. So what was his what was his record? He set last year was it 14? Was that? Uh, we had 15. Okay. 15 so he's going to go. I'm going to say beyond that. So um, Checo already has two, 22 races. Let's go with 17. 17. Unbelievable. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armor all. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. You mentioned Checa Perez, and he's had his fair share of struggles over the last you know month or two. Struggled again for part of the weekend in Austria before landing on the podium on Sunday. Lawrence, just how would you describe what we've seen from Checo of late? I think it's a guy under a huge amount of pressure and someone who's not really dealing with it that well. Um, you know, the, the qualifying record of, of what happened in Monaco and then Spain and then Canada and then Austria, you know, four qualifiers in a row, not making Q3 in the fastest car. And there were bits of luck that came into it. You know, there were there's some things that went against him, weather went against him on occasion, uh, obviously track limits in, in Austria. But you don't see Max finding himself in the same situation when Max knows he's got to deliver on a single lap because that's all he's got because the weather's coming in. He does it. Or when he's told you need to track limits you need to keep it between the lines 
he does it. So I think it's um yeah, it's it's this guy under under massive pressure. And I think a guy realizing that another shot at the title, which is what he had this year, uh, is slipping away from him. And um mm-hmm. that's gonna be pretty hard to hard to take. Did you get any sense, Nate, from Christian Horner of how he currently views Checo and and what kind of future he possibly has at Red Bull? It's hard to tell because everyone you talk to at Red Bull still says that you know Checo's there for the you know the duration of his contract, which runs until the end of next season. But you can you can see the frustration is starting to build, and especially when we spoke to Christian on Sunday, you know he said obviously that was after the podium. Um, performance that you mentioned, Katie, but the frustration was still there because <clears throat> you know it was this this car should have been up here anyway. He shouldn't have had to fight through the field in the sprint race. You know, he shouldn't have had to. Um, sorry, not in the sprint race. Uh, in the in the race itself, you know, he shouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. And I think we've said it before, haven't we? That if I think if Red Bull had a closer challenger this year, I really think the pressure would be higher because you know you, you you could potentially be opening the door to a rival. Perez is very very lucky that at the moment Red Bull so far ahead basically have the constructors championship it would take a lot to for that not to happen at this point so i think that that's a big factor as well and i think that red bull have made changes before you know and and obviously they ended up in the situation where they went outside of the driver market to get uh sorry their driver academy to get perez i think what will be interesting is once we've seen ricardo is testing next week in silverstone that might change things you know if if ricardo tests and is very very impressive i think that we've talked about it before he's leaning towards that alpha tari seat but um at the moment, Perez seems very, very safe, you know, for Red Bull anyway. You know, you, you never know if Helmut Marko is going to wake up one day and just say, actually, I want to change things up. But, um, but yeah, I think he's he's looking okay for now. But I think that the the longer this goes on, and I think that podium was so key because if, if he'd gone another race, you know, another cycle of races without scoring a podium, I think that pressure really does start to mount. So um, if he can just, because all, all Perez has got to do really is stay out of trouble and he should challenge for a podium every weekend. And if you're Red Bull and he's not doing that, you suddenly look around and you say, well, there's lots of other drivers here who could do that. I don't think they're expecting him to beat Max at this point. I think yeah. they're just expecting him to be competitive. And um, yeah, but no, no sense currently that they've lost patience with him. But I think, you know, the early signs of that were there earlier in the weekend uh, in Austria. Yeah, it's really been an interesting kind of underlying story to follow as Red Bull mm-hmm. has had this remarkable season so far. You mentioned one of, the rivals to Red Bull, and I put quotes because there's not many of those uh, as it pertains to the 2023 season, but Mercedes uh, had a pretty poor performance, Lawrence, in Austria. They'll obviously be looking to bounce back in their home race. Did you feel like the Austrian Grand Prix was an anomaly or did we maybe, me, get too excited too soon as it pertains to Mercedes and some of the upgrades that they brought? Um, I think it is, it's a bit of both. So it is an anomaly in that I think it's always been a circuit they've struggled at. Uh, if you just look at the point standings, it was the the round they scored the least points at this year. Um, but the upgrade that they brought was in Monaco. So um, the fact that all the other teams, all their rivals have brought fairly big upgrades since then means that it's balanced back out. So they took a big step in Monaco and uh, over time, their rivals have chipped away at it and Red Bull all the time have have maintained their advantage. There's another big upgrade coming to the Mercedes this weekend. So I think once again, we'll see the Mercedes leap forward again. It's also a circuit which they are really expecting to do well. Uh, It's like right at the top of their list. They have this list of circuits where they expect to do very well. The car will suit and circuits where they really don't expect it to suit. And Silverstone's right near the top. Austria actually wasn't too far down that list. So they were a bit disappointed with with last weekend. But yeah, Silverstone, they look at it. They look at the similarities to uh, Barcelona's Spanish 
Grand Prix where they had one of their best results of the year. And um, and I think, yeah, there's a lot lot riding on it. But apparently this performance upgrade is is big. Again, um, the one in Monaco kind of set them on the right path. Uh, they have since found performance from that platform. They're now bringing to the car, which will ultimately all feed into, uh, hopefully for them, or what they intend to do, make a championship contending car next year. So, um, you know, the, these are meant to be big steps. And if they're not big steps, that's when we need to start to worry. But I think the blip of Austria, um, if it's if it's corrected with a, with a podium in Silverstone, um, or, you know, certainly the performance being there at Silverstone, they won't be too worried about it, you know, overall. But yeah, if, if an upgrade comes and they don't get the performance they're expecting, it doesn't deliver what they, they've been told in their wind tunnel and their CFD, that's when they need to start worrying. But so far, that hasn't happened. It's just the nature of that very tight pack behind Red Bull uh, with, you know, teams bringing upgrades every race and, and leapfrogging each other. I know we root for parity, but I have to say one of my favorite radio messages of the season was Toto Wolf coming on to Lewis and saying, we know the car is bad. Please drive it. I, I loved that line. I don't know why, but I love that line. And partly it's because I'm infatuated by Toto's accent and all that he says. <laughs> yeah, he does have the perfect, like, kind of, not, I wouldn't even say bad guy, but just that that accent, you know, I've watched too many Arnie movies. It's 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 made for, it's made for TV. Yes, um, it truly is. Yeah. I, can you do your impression again, Katie? Just, no, just, I will not. Just so nope. we can, just so we can roast you for. We it went because... through, and it wasn't, it wasn't uh, my best work. But we went. No, we okay. Well, we're gonna next, move on. next next week we'll, we'll make it a segment. <laughs> I feel like Katie, <laughs> yeah. Katie doing Toto impressions. Hopefully, um, it's a, a better radio message this time around that I can impersonate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Him, him congratulating Lewis on winning a race at Silverstone yeah. would be pretty mega. Yeah. That would be something. Um, wanted to ask you about your friends, Nate, because McLaren took a huge step forward in Austria. Lando Norris finished fourth after the penalties, of course, but showed great pace all weekend. They're expected to bring more upgrades to Silverstone. Do you feel like they're finally starting to click on all cylinders after a pretty slow start? I think it's too early to say, you know, they've made a global improvement in terms of, mm -hmm. of generally speaking. And I think, to be honest with you, what Lawrence just said about Mercedes, you can almost flip around a little bit with McLaren. If you look at McLaren's form at Austria, they've or Lando especially has always been super, super strong there. Their car just seems to suit that place. We spoke we went to I went to McLaren on Monday and Zach Brown said it was a great result, but we're a long way away from feeling like we can do that every week. But given where McLaren started, I think that any progress is good. And I think they have made a good step with that. I don't want it to sound like I'm saying, oh, they're still, you know, they're still stuck where they were, you know, a month or two ago. Um, but I think that Austria and just how well Lando was driving that weekend probably propelled them up the grid a little bit. You know, are they going to be ahead of ahead of an Aston and ahead of a Mercedes every week? I don't think that's going to be the case. And, you know, certainly for the, you know, not for the foreseeable future, but the fact that they're now in that mix, I think Zach Brown feels pretty confident that they can fight up there with Alpine pretty regularly, which a few months ago we wouldn't have predicted at all. So definite, definite step forward. Lando was asked, um, will he be the top Brit on the podium? Um, oh, sorry, uh, uh, at Silverstone. And he was like, well, it's basically us for Mercedes, isn't it? Because the other two guys are there. And then he basically looked at the journalist who asked the question and kind of shook his head with a smile on his face and was like, I'd love to be, but you know, it looks, looks unlikely, but, um, but we'll see. I think that what McLaren like at the moment is that both their drivers seem to be getting the most out of the package. And obviously last year that wasn't the case. And I think one of the big questions last year was how many extra points could we have got had Ricardo been performing in that other car? So I know Piastri isn't getting points every week, but I think that they, they feel like his performance levels 
or where they want them to be. And obviously he didn't have the upgrade in Austria. He's getting the upgrade this week, I, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the, it, it's it's quite remarkable to see that the morale of that team seems to be still in a good place, despite everything we've talked about with just where they were at the start of the year and kind of where they are generally, because they're still not really where they, where they wanted to be. You know, McLaren should be at the front competing for titles, not, you know, not patting themselves on the back for being a midfield team. To that point, I, I have to imagine Lando Norris early on, Lawrence was frustrated with how things were going and, and the lack of pace. Do you feel like this kind of progress, I don't know if appease is the, is the right word, but does this kind of progress help with Lando Norris's future at McLaren? Definitely, but it has to be sustained and and really has to be better than, than it has been so far because, I mean, it's all well and good saying, you know, they've made this great step in Austria, but by their own admission, they went, well, they launched the car and they said, you know, we know we're not going to be where we want to be in the midfield. We know we're not going to be competitive. Then an upgrade came in Baku, which is really where the car should have started the season four races in. And then this latest upgrade came in Austria and really that should have been... The- uh, you know, once they got away from the first few flyaway races. So it's it's still behind expectations within McLaren. And uh, I think a long way behind expectations for Norris. Of course, with Lando, the, the other question is, is is what else is available at any any one time? Where else can he go? And I, I still think that if, you know, a really serious offer was put on the table to him and he has a way to get out of that McLaren contract, the way things are stacked up right now, you'd probably take it. Because if you look at the long-term uh, prospects at, at McLaren. Okay, yes, there's some steps forward. They've got the wind tunnel coming in, which they claim is going to make, a, you know, their own brand new wind tunnel coming in, which they claim is going to make a big step forward uh, essentially next year and then the year after. Uh, but you look around at some of the rivals, and you've got Aston Martin making this huge step uh, without their new wind tunnel online yet, and, you know, without the the new factory which has just opened uh they did all of that last year anyway with uh with just getting the right people on board you look at obviously red bull being so far ahead you look at the quality at mercedes the kind of the potential at ferrari and the romance of driving for ferrari then you even look at say alfa romeo which is going to become audi in 2025 uh 2026 uh even 2026 when they actually become audi and you think well you know that the, the, those are some really good prospects because a team like Audi, they're going to have their own inbuilt engine, sorry, in-house engines uh, coming in, building around the chassis. So I still think McLaren have to do an awful lot to prove Lando long-term that it's the right place to be. But of course, mm-hmm. you've got to start somewhere. So so this step, uh, which we should all say isn't the full upgrade package they had in Austria, there's still bits to come to it. Uh, and uh, and as Nate said, it's going to be on, on Oscar's car as well this weekend. Uh, it is very important, but I think they really have to do something long-term as well to prove to Lando that it's the right place to be. No doubt about it. You mentioned Ferrari, and I'd like to pivot our conversation there. A good result overall for Ferrari. They seem to get a grip on strategy and their race pace in Austria. Charles Leclerc on the podium, P2. Carlos signs after being penalized uh, from Aston Martin's protest five hours later. He dropped down to sixth place, but still a decent amount of points for Ferrari. Nate, do we feel like Ferrari can contend with Red Bulls and Silverstone? It's a good question. I think you're right to say that the the strategy for the last two races, Canada and um, uh, and Austria, obviously in, in in qualifying in Canada, we were kind of questioning the decision. But there has seemingly been a bit of a step in terms of the calls seem a bit less erratic. It seems like there's a bit more confidence internally in that, and I think that makes a big difference. If Ferrari are going into races and they know that they can call the right things, I think that does make a difference. Whether they can be the closest challenger to Red Bull, I think that's all relative. Um, but at certain races, they're turning up at the moment. I mean, they've got such a quick qualifying car. I mean, Charlotte Club was so close uh, in qualifying 
uh, to getting Max. Um, really, really awesome lap, actually, from Charles. If you actually go and watch the onboards, just how much he was pushing it at the end uh, of qualifying on the Friday. So, yeah, I think they'll be up there. But again, it's difficult. It's so difficult to call at the moment that that gap, that that group behind Red Bull, because we see it, don't we? We've got Aston, Ferrari, Mercedes. And the next week, you know, Aston and Mercedes can drop away. Ferrari can come back up again. So mm-hmm. I think that Ferrari are in a good spot. And I think Charles, especially at the moment, seems to be finding his groove in terms of, you know, how he's driving, how he's racing. And I always feel like, you know, a happy Charles Leclerc is a Charles Leclerc who's in form. Um, and that's never a bad thing. So, yeah, I think all the signs are there that they're going to have maybe not a race winning weekend, but definitely a, definitely a strong one. When you look at the year in total, who do you feel like driven better Lawrence signs or Leclerc? Um, I think it's the same odd story there in the, in the, well, I, I think Leclerc is, is ultimately the better driver, the faster driver. Um, he's had a lot of um, bad luck and, and things go wrong this year and made some mistakes. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd still say Leclerc is, is the better of the, the, the two drivers there. And of course, when they've had a chance to get podiums, which is Baku and Austria, they're the only podiums they've had this year. Uh, he's been the one that, that's taken them. So uh, I think Leclerc you know, still remains the team leader there. And and also the guy that I think the whole team really feels like it needs to 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 impress and work hard to keep. Whereas it sounds like Carlos is already working on a new contract where Charles seems to be keeping his options a little bit more open because, uh, you know, he wants to know uh, what, what he can do when his contract expires at the end of next year, I believe. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a funny dynamic there, but they they do seem to be making uh, progress both with, with the car. Again, you know, this situation, let's go back to launches again. I remember going to Marinello and then talking about, well, of course, we're going to be fighting for a championship. We are Ferrari. That's what we do. That's why we exist in Formula One. And they are, you know, couldn't really be further away when you look at, you know, the championship and who's ahead of the Aston Martin and Mercedes, like, you know, no one expected Ferrari to have, um, you know, three teams ahead of them at this stage of the season. Um, so it's, yeah, it, it's still not quite good enough, but I, I think it is starting to come together. And, and back to that point Nate made about the strategy, you know, they, they did make some big changes in in, in the strategy department. Uh, they got rid of Inaki Rado at the top of it. And, uh, well, I think he got put into a different position, but he got taken off the, the pit wall making decisions straight away. But there was also a huge amount of work that went on behind the scenes. It was, you know, redeveloping um, a lot of the, the software and 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 the systems and the and the mechanisms by which they make decisions and and kind of looking at why they were making the wrong decisions not just the guy putting the finger on the button all the all the systems that go into to, uh, you know developing that decision on the pit wall uh, they've they've had to go back through those and and kind of redefine them and find new ways of working and inevitably that's going to take time um so uh yeah i think it's it's good to see those kind of things click because you know, as soon as they do get a competitive car like they had at the start of last year, any mistake like that is just devastating, as we saw at the start of last yeah. year with, with the mistakes they made. As it pertains to other teams on the grid that we haven't spoken in depth about, Aston Martin finished fifth and ninth in Austria, a weekend where they looked a bit off the pace, I think is fair to say. Williams, uh, both their drivers finished strong in Austria. They seem to be in a good place. Specifically, Alex Albon seems to be in a really good place. You could say that Haas, Alfatari, Alfa Romeo need to bounce back at Silverstone. What are some of the underlying storylines that you guys will be following this weekend from other teams on the grid? Well, one that I think is quite interesting to look at, and we've seen it at two races now, where for, for most of the season, the story at Aston Martin was that Fernando Alonso was getting all the points and Stroll was struggling. Mm-hmm. At two races, Spain, and then at the weekend, Stroll actually turned in a really, really solid performance and finished ahead of Fernando, which... 
is interesting because I don't think any of us would put the two of them in the same conversation when it comes to driving. But the one thing that was always key for for Aston, and especially if they're kind of slipping away from that position, is they've got to be scoring well with, with both teams. And um, it's interesting because Stroll clearly, you know, I mean, I asked him in Canada if, you know, if he needed to start beating Alonso more. And he gave me kind of, you know, a very, very stern look, but gave me an answer of like, yeah, I do need to improve. You know, I need to do that. Um, I'm not set, you know, part of me does think as well, like we spoke to Fernando on, on Sunday and he'd sat behind Lance for the whole race. Part of me wonders, did Fernando just sit there and think, well, look, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to push this kid as far as I can, you know, and try and get the best out of him. You know, I don't know whether that's going on in his head, but that, you know, people ask them, if you talk to them, they'll say that if you look at Spain and you look at Austria, they say that's the Lance Stroll that they think they can get all season. Now, I'm not convinced of that myself, but I think from from their point of view, it'd be great if, if he can keep doing that. He doesn't have to beat Fernando every week. I don't think he's going to do that, but just getting the most out of the car as we've you know, start to see him doing, um, I think would be good. Um, and I'm trying to remember where I'm trying to remember if Lance ended up losing any points or positions with the, um, with the penalties. It's all gone. My brain's gone. I think too he much. jumped so, up, didn't he? So, so, so slight correction. Yeah. It was, the, I think you're thinking of the sprint where, um, I am thinking of the sprint. Right. Yeah. I just remembered suddenly Lance. that he, yeah, he was lower than Alonso yeah. in the race, but in the sprint, uh, and, and in the race, good. it went Alonso's way. Um, Alonso eventually finished fifth. I think he got a position, mm-hmm. uh, that's because, right. of, because of the penalties and I think Lance also got position from 10th to 9th but um, yeah it's interesting that one way where Alonso was behind him because he looked like he was fast enough to make a move but yes. then you've got to remember there's a number of things going on here one they're teammates and uh, at mm. the moment Alonso doesn't need to rock the boat you know I think everyone accepts that he is the better driver of the two but also because of the way the sprint points are handed out there's only one point on offer is it really mm, worth true. a gamble in mixed conditions they were both on eight as well you know do you go for it so um yeah that's an interesting one i'm actually quite excited about aston martin because um i'm going to their factory tomorrow evening uh they've oh. invited all the media pretty much it seems uh to go and have a look around it and last time i saw it it was a building site um so it'll be interesting to see what they've got there uh, it looks like it is going to be one of the most uh impressive state-of-the-art factories in formula one and that is saying something f1 factories are always pretty special special places to be but yeah this one architecturally is is pretty impressive as well maybe not quite as impressive as mclaren's architecturally which is it is stunning uh nate was there earlier this week and it is remarkable um but uh it's also not that functional the mclaren one if you talk to people who actually work there whereas this aston one has been designed around um you know the people that work there they've got this thing called the street which goes down the middle of a big open hallway and uh off that you've got all the different departments uh but they're because you have this central hallway they're all actually quite easy to to get in between and they're logically placed with the right people next to each other when they have to talk to each other huge design office on the on the on the second floor uh, which is completely open plan uh, hardly a pillar in there to get in between ideas and, and conversations so um yeah I'm, I'm really keen to go and see uh what that looks like um so definitely a team to, to to look out for um in general because you know they made this great start uh to year but yeah once they get that factory up and running operational in every sense and they bring in the wind tunnel, which I think is still a year and a half away. Uh, that's going to be a real force to be reckoned with. I mean, no. apparently, sorry, Casey. Apparently, also mm-hmm. has its own press, uh, either Pret or Costa in the factory, which is pretty amazing. So, on top of all that other stuff, you don't even <laughs> have to drive outside the factory to get your lunch. You know, <laughs> if that's not a winning mentality, I don't know what is. That's a man it, after it, my own heart, worried about the food source. Exactly, I love that. I, I don't want to leave. I I what, it, it, it is a big issue though. Like, I mean, because I remember um, Ferrari making this big thing in the mid two thousands about how they insisted all their 
uh, staff go to lunch and take their time over it and everything. And I think all the teams in the UK were like, yeah, whatever, you know, Italians just doing their thing. But actually every team in the UK has put a lot of effort into their canteens and also um, like gyms and things like that. So there's a whole new building which isn't yet finished uh, being built at Aston Martin alongside this factory I just uh, described, which is doing the nuts and bolts of it purely for just um, employee welfare. And, you know, this isn't just about kind of making it a nice place to work. It's also about attracting employees from other teams. Because if you're, you know, we, we think of engineers who go traveling around the world the whole time, traveling with F1, and that's one thing. But a lot of the guys that make the car super fast are the guys that spend all day, pretty much every day in the factory, working away, slaving away. Mm. You know, And and a lot of these factories are not in the most amazing parts of of the UK or you know a lot of them in industrial estates and so it is important that you have this environment that uh, is conducive to working sharing ideas like I say but also just a nice place to be and um, yeah under the cost cap where increasingly you can't just throw big numbers at people to come and work for you uh, having other ways of enticing them in is, is pretty important. Gives you a, a nice mental break, right? If you're able to go to the gym, you're able to go get a nice meal, the sustainability from working so long as hard as they do. I have to believe it is a big upside for a lot of these employees looking for potentially a new employer, as you say. Um, I made a note, so we will get a full recap from you after your site tour on Thursday night next week on Unlapped. So I'll be very, very keen to hear what you learned from your experience. Prediction time, as always, as it stands with our new point format. Thank you to Zach, one of our producers on the show. Lawrence, after Austria, you remain at the top at 23 points. Nate, nice moves. Got the most points on the weekend with four. You moved to 16 points. Stay in second. I trail, bring up the rear end at 13 points. Let's go with Nate for your predictions for Silverstone. I always always hate being first because I like to see which... Who, who I know, you but know. you haven't been around often yeah, yeah, no. as of late, and Lawrence has had to do that. So very, it's very finally your turn. Yeah, very fair. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Max P1. Um, I think Lewis at Silverstone is just a different level. You know, he, he you know he finds something in himself. I'm gonna put him second, and then third. I think Perez. You know, I think that Perez he has to be finishing on the podium at this point. Um, so yeah, that, those would be my three. I, that might have been. I, I think I've always done. I, I've become very aware. Of, I've, I'm doing a variation of that every week. Max first, Perez third, and then somebody slotting in the middle. But the Nate special hasn't worked yet. But maybe this week is the is the one. You did pretty well last week, so we'll take it. Lawrence, how do you feel? Okay, I'm going to make the most of my lead and, and gamble a bit. Uh, oh. so I'm going to go. Lewis Hamilton wins the British Grand Prix what? on nice. my soil. Uh, Sergio Perez is second, and George Russell is third. So two Brits on the podium. And something happens to Max. I don't know what yet. You know, I mean, like we keep saying, can he win all the races this year? Probably not, because something's going to go wrong at some point. Uh, so I'm going to say it's it's here at Silverstone, but I don't know what. Uh, you know, I'm I'm just trying to make this interesting as well. Before yeah. Max fans, I'm just trying to win. I'm just trying to win this yeah. thing now. So. So that's how I started. That's how like, I started. Yeah, now yeah. I've got a lead. Also, like, yeah, what around. an elitist mindset. I've got points to play with, so I'm just going to go out on the Casey, limit. we can't let this stand. Yeah. Come on. No, we we can't. We're going to reel this guy in. This is, okay. this is outrageous. You, you are realistic with yours. I'll be realistic with mine. I'm going to go with Max, Charles, and then I'm going to go with Lewis in third. Nice. A lot of love for Lewis this week. I know. Is that just because we're we're a bit nostalgic and we want to see him do well at Silverstone? I feel like that's 
Pardon I mean, me. he's won the is it seven times, which is uh, I think if he wins there one more time, it's a record of any driver at a single circuit. The amount of times they've won, so yeah, yeah. There, there's good reason to pick Lewis. Um, yeah, but... yeah. And I think as well, sometimes I'm skeptical when people say, "Oh, you know, at this circuit, you know, I, the the crowd lifts me." But Lewis is one of those rare talents where you actually know that is the case. You know, he comes into a Silverstone weekend very fired up, you know, and the you know the whole the whole place is always just so for him. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a good call. Um, but I mean, maybe George will listen to this and be like, "Well, I want to be the Brit on the podium. I want to be the Brit in the Nate special sandwich." And he'll 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 out drive his team. That's what they want. That's yeah. what they're all yeah. gonna want. That's what that's what they all want. Forget all this yeah. winning a race, whatever. <laughs> they want to be second between the two Red Bulls <laughs> for that prediction. <laughs> Too good. Too good. As always, thank you both for your analysis. Enjoy the race, Nate. Enjoy Bruce Springsteen. I believe you're hitting that concert before going to Silverstone to join Lawrence. Yeah, well, I was going to say, when Lawrence was talking about the Aston Martin, I was like, as great as that sounds, it's not as good as seeing Bruce Springsteen in London. So I will be... I, I agree with that. <laughs> I can't agree <laughs> yeah. with that. Where is he playing? Hyde Park in London. So it um, nice. should be an amazing game. Awesome. Well, enjoy that. We'll reconvene next week on Unlapped. Remember, if you're watching us on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys.